Before we dive into the text that this series is based on in Ephesians chapter 6, just a couple of things here. Uh, one, would you join me in welcoming my bride back one more time? I, uh, I did that so I could say na 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 to those of you who thought she left me. She did not. We are just fine, aren't we, babe? Oh, she just nodded her head. She didn't say anymore. Yeah, we're, we're fine. And thank you for your prayers. Our daughter is doing much, much better. Uh, the healing process is moving along. They told us the infection that she has. She probably won't be fully recovered from until sometime in the summer. So it started almost five months ago and continues to be a battle. But... Uh, She's winning that battle. So, na-na-na-na-na-na, the evil one is trying to bring that down. Um, secondly, I wanted to uh, just share this with you, that uh, tomorrow night the PST is planning on meeting. And uh, if things go well as planned, as long as we keep a war from breaking out in that group, um, they'll finalize the... Final five or six candidates to be handed off to the deacons in the next week or so. And uh, so it is probably the most critical meeting they've had. And I know I can uh, successfully conclude that they, down to the each individual, will very much appreciate your specific prayers for this final meeting that they have tomorrow night. So pray for them, and then the prayers will transition to the deacons as they are the final search team who will go after that one whom God is selecting to be the next servant leader. So the process is moving right along. A number of churches with IBM take a whole lot longer to go through almost 190 resumes and whittle it down. So your search team deserves applause for having done a marvelous job. I want to apologize for my voice today. Uh, we got back actually very early in the week and spent almost all the rest of the week shut in, just trying to keep from infecting others and trying to recover from this winter thing that a number of you have already battled with. And we just thought we were so far above that it wouldn't touch us. But we've been around grandkids and you know how that goes. So uh, we picked up the bug and uh, right now I'll just be honest with you. You ever felt like you're in a cave looking out? Y'all look so far away distant to me and uh, my head doesn't flow well right now and so I'd appreciate your prayer support as we start through uh, another in this series today, and thank you for your patience with me as I walk through uh, today recovering physically. Then I want to say thank you to Jimmy for doing a marvelous job last Sunday. Yeah. He was so gracious to preach on the Sunday when he lost an hour of sleep. I planned that well, didn't I? I listened to him. I heard what he accused me of doing. And, uh, I so appreciated the message. Thank you. Great job. Outstanding job 
in helping us focus on uh, how to identify the enemy that we're all at war with and above all that the hosts of heaven are at war with. Um, I want to continue that series today. We're going on, if you can stand this, well, whether you can or not, we're going on two more weeks in this series and we'll conclude uh, two weeks from today on March 30th with one piece of weaponry or armor that I believe uh, most people overlook in the text. That final one will be prayer. And I think it's, it'll be a timely one given what the church is doing and preparing for the next servant leader. So having said that, let's, uh, let's go to God and just ask him to help us walk through this study today. Good thing to do? Join me. My Father, our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Because you were above all, because you were large and in charge, because no one has ever, is now, or can ever wrestle from your hand the scepter. Although we fight a usurper today who believes he sits on the throne where you belong, one day you'll remove him from that throne. And we'd like to tell you together as a great choir, as a great group of people that are adoring and worshiping you already this morning, we'd like to tell you we look forward to that day when you will come again and Snatch that usurper from his supposed throne. Place him in chains forever. And we'll create a new heaven and a new earth and a perfect place for all of us to enjoy our eternal life together with you. Come, Lord Jesus. And God's people said, Come, Lord Jesus. And bring in that great and wonderful hour when never again will we be at war with anyone or anything. Prepare us for what we have to face today and until Jesus comes. Prepare us with the hope that this great text offers. In the name of Jesus and for his sake we ask it. Amen. Are you winning every battle? That's the first question I want to ask. Are you winning every one of them? No, neither did Israel in the Old Testament when God promised to be with them and bring down every enemy that they had to face. They, uh, they lost or they won when they first entered the land of promise. Remember Jericho? There was a great victory with a great plan. How many of us would have said, okay, I'm in on this one. I'll march around with you once a day for seven days and then seven times on the seventh day at the end of which we'll shout. And then the battle will be won. Great plan, man. I'm all in. Well, they were all in and God gave them the victory. But there came the next battle. Anybody here remember a little place called Ai? 
Oh, we don't need to take the whole army in for this battle, the Israelites thought. All of our soldiers, most of our soldiers can stay home. We'll just take in that handful because this is just a little village, a borough. It's not a metropolis like Nineveh, or Nineveh. What was the city? Thank you. I need your help today. I told you. Like Jericho was. It's just this little place. What happened was they went in without the plan and power and armor of God. And they came walking away, no, running away with their tails between their legs. They lost. So God wrote them off and destroyed them forever and never gave them any hope again. No, no, no. I love this part of it. When anyone repents, turns to God, wants to be reconciled to him, he restores power to them in the battle. And in fact, this is what I've learned in my life, and I hope you've learned it in yours. Just because we lose one battle doesn't mean God gives up on us. He's a God of love. He's a God of grace, and please, my friend, don't forget that. Those of you in the series that we're in during the men's breakfast is so important to get this principle. Those of you who are losing battle after battle after battle after battle and then concluding there is no hope, I've come to say again, in this series called This Means War, Ephesians 6 is all about hope. It is all about you having what you need to win in this battle. Now we come to the next piece of armor found in verse number 17, the first part of the verse. And it goes like this, stand, that's actually verse 14, and the rest of it is in verse 17. Take the helmet of salvation. Great piece of armor, without which you dare not go to battle. That armor, that piece of armor may not be what you've been taught over the years or what you and what I thought for a lot of years. It is something different, and I'd like you to catch it this morning, and I hope you'll come with an open mind and walk out and not brand Larry a heretic. Have you found me to be that yet? Okay, so hang in there, and I think you'll successfully... I can successfully encourage you to view it a bit differently than you have in the past. Now let's break it down. Remember, the first command that remains throughout the entire statement found in verses 14, actually through verse 20, though there is a period that shouldn't be there before the word and in the middle of the sentence, There is uh, this one command that is given that runs all the way through every piece of armor that you were to pick up, and it is this, stand. And I've taught you that that word means, in essence, stand firmly without losing ground. And I've said time and again, there is no excuse for losing ground in this war. And my beloved, the reason there's no excuse for losing ground in this war is twofold. One, because there's superior strength empowering you for it. 
The whole context begins in verse 10 by saying, Be strong in the Lord and in the what? Power of his mind. Three words there that refer to the omnipotent power of God. There is no power above his, and he makes it available to you. So why in the world do we need to cower in the conflict and battle or lose one inch of ground? And the other emphasis is the whole emphasis, and I'd love to tell you if I had any idea what I was going to tell you. I just lost my train of thought. Thank you, cold medicine. Let me back up and do it this way. Oh, I know what it was. There's no reason for you to lose in your battle because the armor not only is the strength superior, but the armor that you wear is superior to the enemies. Your armor will withstand and enable you to stand. The enemy's armor is penetrable. Yours impenetrable. So there's no reason to lose ground. Now let me add to that this concept. Do you know that every war, no matter whether fought like the first century Romans would fight it, mostly hand-to-hand combat, or the current kind of wars with drones and with tanks and with uh, airplanes that are supersonic and have all these powerful weaponries attached to them, no matter whether it's today's kind of war or first century kind of war, the battle is always over ground. It's always over territory, isn't it? Could I remind you that the territory that we live in was created by God and he intended man to live in it and allow him to be their ruler and the ruler of the creation that he made? Enter Satan. And what's he battling over? Territory. Ground. And for the moment, he seems to be winning. I want to suggest to you, he is in that sense a usurper, believing he is on a throne that God created for himself. Only it isn't in heaven, it's on earth, a territory God created for himself. And the evil one took over so successfully that he is described in Scripture as the God of this world, the prince of the power of the air. In other words, the one who is in charge of this culture and area, control, ground, territory, God created for himself. Now, our responsibility as a New Testament church is to stand, my beloved, without giving ground, territory, one inch of it, back to the evil one. This whole series is all about you holding your ground. That's pretty important. We hold our ground together as a church inside these walls, right? Aren't there things we don't want to give up and give away? Well, there are some things we don't want to that we should. But there is ground and territory that belongs to God, that is non-negotiable, that cannot be given up. 
Most of it revolves around the very truth of the Word of God. And I have always been historically conservative and traditional and will always be theologically. Are you with me? Don't give up ground the word to the world where the evil one distorts it with a part of a lie that seems so good. We'll not give that ground. We'll hold it. Now stay with me on that. The next thing he says is not just stand, but there's a new emphasis that's about to be given on this fifth piece of armor, and that emphasis is found in verse 17 with the first challenge, and that is not only to stand, but to take. And you'll see the piece of armor in essence that you're supposed to take in a moment. But this word take is a different word. I've always been taught it means just take it up. Take that which is given you and every other piece of armor and put it on. But it actually means receive with favor. And it's not so much a command, though it is, as it is primarily a plea. Which simply means this. You are implored to receive this next piece of armor as you would a gift that somebody offers. So it boils down to this. It's a choice. A choice as to whether or not you'll take and receive the gift that God offers to you. Now hang in there. I remember a number of Christmases ago, we took, wrapped up one of these dollhouse things that I had made for our granddaughter. It wasn't a dollhouse, it was a doll bed. You ever, you ever seen an American Girl magazine? American Girl doll magazine. You ever seen that? You know, one of our uh, children, one of our kids used my credit card to purchase a doll and then reimburse me for that. And for the next 12 years, I have gotten at least twice a year a new American doll magazine in the mail. And it came in a couple of weeks ago. What? I have no kids here. Don't send me an American doll magazine. So I go visit the grandkids this last week. And our seven-year-old said, Grandpa, let me show you something. And she brought out the magazine. <laughs> Gotta have one of these. Isn't she dressed marvelously? Now, I gotta tell you, I wouldn't look at that magazine with anybody else but my granddaughter. That's it. Now, watch it. A number of years ago, there was one of these dollhouses in that magazine, and and one of the grandkids said, I want that for Christmas from Grandpa. Have you seen the price of those things? Phenomenal. I thought, I can build one better than that that looks just like that. And I did. I built it better and bigger. And it comes out like this and about this tall for this little bitty baby. 
wrapped it up on Christmas morning, brought it out, and set it in front of her. And she looked at it and said, eh, that's too big. I don't want it and took off. <laughs> no, I lie. <laughs> she saw that and her eyes got big. That's for me? <laughs> yeah, that's for you. And she tore into that thing and unwrapped it, ran to her bedroom, got her doll and put it on that, that uh, bed that we had made and thought it was... Uh, most marvelous gift she'd ever gotten. Now watch this. No kid ever looked at a gift and said, that's too big for me. Kids don't do that. They have this childlike confidence. Whatever is in that is given me because they love me and they know what I want. So I'm expecting something great. Listen up. Your Father above has offered you one of the most marvelous gifts of all. He gives it to you and offers it to you as something that is for your good. And He knows you need it for the rest of your life. And if you don't receive it, with gladness and joy and favor. Use it the way it was created for you exactly. And you have so little hope to make it in the battle that you're a part of. You're with me. As no little child would look at a Christmas gift and turn it away, why on earth would we ever turn away this great And what is it? He wants us to receive it joyfully, knowing it will help us, give us the victory. What is that gift? Take, receive as a gift from me this piece of armor, the helmet of salvation. I want you to look at the image of uh, the first century Roman soldier's helmet. When I look at it, the very first thing I noted, and there are a number of things, but I just want to point out to the first two things I noted seem quite obvious. In the front, there's not much armor. In the front, there isn't much. Why? Because if you cover up the front, you cannot see. And so there's this whole idea, if I'm in hand-to-hand -hand combat, I need to be able to see the enemy that I'm fighting against. So there's room in this helmet for me to see. The second thing I note is the whole back is covered more than beyond the bottom of the head. It goes on to the shoulders. There is that appendage, that extension to it that protects me. Protects me from what I cannot. And in that first century, there were those enemies that would come at you from the front. And they were soldiers just like you who would face you and bring this short sword, probably two feet long, and try to bring you down with it. You do hand-to-hand -hand combat with them. But from the rear, very often, there would be 
these men on horses, the cavalry. They would come behind and you're so intensely fighting with those in front of you that you don't see the cavalry approaching you from behind. And those men on horses didn't come with two-foot uh, swords. They came with four to five-foot swords. And guess where they swung those swords, what they were aiming for? They're aiming for the head. If they could do enough damage to the head, they would bring you down. And they most often wanted to literally decapitate you. And so, this helmet was intended to protect you from what you don't see behind coming at you and what you do see ahead. There are times when I just have this sense I'm in the battle hand-to-hand -hand combat with the evil one. Are you with me? There are times when he just slips up and I have no idea he's there until it's almost too late. And the Lord looks at you and says, please, 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 take the helmet. If you don't receive it joyfully, knowing what it will do for you, He'll sneak up on you from behind and you'll never know he's there until it's too late and you're done. But if you'll put on the helmet, here's the hope. You've lost a thousand times in a thousand battles, but you won't lose in this next battle. If you'll joyfully receive the helmet. Now let me talk to you about that helmet. The helmet is a, comes from two root words, which means around the head. Listen up. The battle is won or lost. Are you here? Are you listening? The battle is won or lost always in this war with the evil one in the mind. What is it that Satan did in the Old Testament? When he first appeared to Adam and Eve, those first perfect of God's creation, when he first appeared to them, what did he do? He came up to Eve and he offered her something so beautiful she couldn't refuse it. No. The first thing he did was walk up to her and not present a beautiful package, but just ask a question. Hath God said? When she asked that question, what was he doing? He was headed for her head. He was going after her thinking. And by the way, Adam was not an innocent person far away. He's just as guilty as he was that day. He was right beside her listening to the conversation. And there was language in the original Hebrew that proves that. And so both of them were right there. And what was the evil one doing? He was going after their minds. He knows he can bring God down if he can change their thinking. Hath God said, 
You can't have that fruit. And Eve answered, well, of course he has. You cannot have it, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. Which was a bit of a distortion of the word of God. Because there's no record that says you can't touch it. But wait a minute, I don't blame Eve for that because I'd far rather a person just say, if God says I can't eat it, then I just won't touch it. I'm not going near what God says I can't have. Pretty good thinking, right? So she says, don't eat it, don't touch it. Yeah, but God knows something. And it moved from doubt to a distortion of God's character. God does know that in the day you eat of it, you will be like him. And then he, listen, here's another word about the mind. Then he reasons. Without saying it, he just implied it. And Adam and Eve understood exactly what he was saying. It's not stated but what he meant was, God doth know you'll be like him, and God doesn't want you to be like him. Is that a lie? Yeah, because what's the first thing God said before ever there was a man? Let's make man in our own saying. Image, to be like us. God wants us to be like him. And instead of saying, get thee behind me, Satan, they said, oh, maybe we'd like to be more like God, knowing good and evil. And then she saw that it was something to be desired. Her head is still telling her, I'd like that. Looks good to me. All of that conversation, it was a battle for the mind. I've come to say to you that God offers salvation. Listen carefully now. A word that does not mean redemption by the blood of the sacrifice. All my life I've been taught that God wants me to reason through and by faith come to the conclusion that the blood of the Lamb is what redeems me. And I believe that with all my heart. But I've been taught that's what this context is saying to me. I must put on salvation or I can have no victory in this battle. But wait a minute. Who's this whole text talking to? The far from God or the believer who's already been born again? Hello? The believer. One who is already saved. So what is he saying here? He's saying, take to yourself this helmet that protects your thinking so that you will be not be brought down by the evil one's lies, 
but delivered from his lies. That's exactly what he's saying here. And what is it that delivers us from the lie? It is the truth. And John 17 tells us what the truth is. The truth is the word of God. How do you stop the lie? By putting on the helmet of truth, if you will. It delivers you, brings salvation to you, saves you in the midst of the conflict of the battle. Now please, don't walk away and say, Larry no longer believes in salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. That's a heretic. It's not what I said. I said this text isn't. This text is talking about what the saved need to be successful in the battle. You and I, to be successful, need the Word of God. I've referred to it every time I've taught. And in fact, every piece of armor comes back to this same con uh, conclusion. And it is this, the Word is what defeats the enemy. It is the shield. It is the belt. It is the war boots. It is the uh, helmet that delivers you, that brings deliverance, the word of God. So I've referred to it every time. What is it that Jesus did when he was led into temptation? Everything Satan threw at his at his face in the battle, he answered with, it is written. It's the word that delivers. So is Larry a heretic? Would you say it a little more encouragingly, please? <laughs> Your turn. So, for years I was opposed to saying something like this. But I'd encourage you to pray periodically a portion of the model prayer. Deliver us from the evil one. There's another phrase that prefaces that one that I probably should have put on the screen for you. That phrase is Lead us not into temptation today. But deliver us. If you do lead us into temptation, deliver us from the evil one. And God's already answered that prayer for you. just seems like we're in a season in our life personally where these battles come from every front. Financially, physically, fraternally, and familially. Friends, family, money, health. Just portal. 
Sort of like the man of the Old Testament who prayed, Lord, I've had enough of this contempt. You ever been there? Sort of like that. This is a moment and season in life when I'm ready to say, God, I've had enough of this battle. Please, 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 please. If you choose, lead me not into the battle today. Give me a break. Your heart ever been ready to cry that? I think Jesus knew our hearts when he taught this model prayer and said, it's okay. It's okay. It's okay. When you feel pressed in on every side, it's okay to say, please, God, not today. But never without praying that last thing that Jesus prayed in the garden. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. You can lead me into the battle today. If that's what will bring you the most glory and honor. Knowing that even that battle is a gift from you, an opportunity for me to adore and praise and honor you by putting on a help. So it's okay to tell God he knows how limited we are. Have enough. Please don't lead me into it today. But one more thing. Store the word of God in your head for those times when you are led into the heat of the battle by the Lord. Or you will be. My dad's one of the greatest models of this. He's going to be 90 this year. He has memorized in the last, oh, six to eight years, he's memorized at least not 15 verses, but 15 chapters of the Bible. And I've watched things thrown at him one after another that most crumble beneath. Everything from the death one of his children to the death of his own spouse. Everything from failures in the lives of those he loves deeply to physical issues in his own life that only God can deliver from. And every time he's in one of those battles, never lost, I've never seen him once lose ground or territory to the evil one. Every single time he pulls out miraculously, no, from a human perspective because of his diligence to store up in his head the word of God, he pulls out that which brings down the discouragement, the doubt, the despondency and would lead to depression, he brings out the powerful word of God and uses it to say, this is my hope. I don't know 
where you are, my friend. If you are here far from God and have no idea what this salvation is all about, I'd like to say to you, oh, open your heart to the Lord and simply say to him, not deliver me from temptation, but deliver me from my sin and its consequences. Give me the grace to believe in the power of the blood of the cross and the resurrected Christ. Man, Easter's coming up. Can't wait. Give me the grace to believe today, Father, that Christ died for me to save me. That's one prayer that needs to be prayed by some who apart from him. I pray you'll pray that today. God's people, an additional prayer now for you is not the first one. You pray it once. That's good enough forever. Amen? But it's this prayer. Lead me not into temptation, but if you do, deliver by the power of the helmet, deliver by the power of the Word of God that surrounds my mind and being, deliver me discouragements and doubts that the evil one brings. By the way, he brings them in droves, doesn't he? You think you can teach today? Don't you remember when? I love what somebody said to me years ago. I've never forgotten it. When he asked you to remember your past, you remind him of his future. The word is clear on it. Use the scriptures to remind you. He can bring discouragement. We call the ultimate end of that depression. And he works on your mind and you're so down, having been so defeated. You don't have to stay there. He offers the gift of his word surround your doubts and fears claim the victory over them through the promises of his book declare those promises to the evil one and watch him run away and all who care 